Straight Talk with Andrea Joy. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm excited for us to get into it this week. I want to talk a little bit uh, today about a subject that's a little touchy sometimes. Um, We like to live in a world where we fantasize more than we live in reality. And I realized that in doing that, we sometimes find ourselves in an awkward situation. We find ourselves in an awkward position and it really can be alleviated and avoided if we walked in reality on some things. Tonight I wanna discuss what's understood ain't got to be explained. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. So before the break, we were talking about what's understood ain't gotta be explained. And what I mean by that is that there are some conversations with people you need to have at the beginning. I know we talked about this months ago, but there's some conversations you need to have that are not being have that are not being had. And because of that, there are situations you find yourself in and they're uncomfortable because you just don't know. The problem is you don't want to know and you don't want to know because you may not like the answer. Now this goes with anything in life, any area of your life that you don't know something about. Uh, whether it's your job, whether it's your marriage or uh, dating relationship in your family, in your business. If you don't know something, it's a very uncomfortable situation. But when you understand a thing, when you know what's going on, when you have information and knowledge about a thing, it's not uncomfortable. And it doesn't have to be explained because you already understand it. I remember this being a a saying back in the 70s. And I grew up with that. Unfortunately, there were so many things that were not explained that we did not understand as children, as young adults, as uh, adults, that we lived in a place of assuming. And the thing about assumption that we all understand is that you think one way, it may not necessarily be the case. And so today I just wanted to, for a few minutes, just talk about getting some understanding so you don't have to assume, so you don't have to think things are one way, then they're really another. And what that does is it alleviates some tension, some pressure, some stress, some worry, some fear, some doubt, because you know. Now, I won't tell you that everyone is always above board and 100% honest, but for those that are, at least you know where you stand, you know what direction things are going in, you know what you have to work with, you know what you need to improve upon, you know these things because it's understood. And once it's understood, you don't have to keep having an explanation. Once he tells you that he's married, you don't have to keep asking him if he's married. Once she tells you that she's about to divorce someone and has divorce papers, you don't have to keep asking her, is she going to divorce this person? 
as long as they're being honest, right? And so I want to say to you that it takes having those hard discussions. It takes having the hard answers, the hard things in life sometimes in order that you may have peace, peace of mind, peace in the household, peace in your soul and your spirit, peace in your mind. You just want peace. You want to not stress and not worry and not have doubt and not have fear, especially in areas that you're active in, especially in your life and doing things that you're going towards and moving forward in. You want to have peace about it. You don't want to go into a situation with a person and know half the information about them. You don't want to go into a marriage and think one thing and find out later when he's being arrested that he was already married to three other people. So you need some information. So that means asking hard questions sometimes. It means having hard conversations at times. It means putting your cards on the table and seeing how they land. Andrea, can you get a little more specific? Okay, let's talk about relationships. There are times we see someone and we're attracted to them. We want to get to know them. We want to be in their life. We want them in our lives. And so we go up to them or they approach us and we have a conversation. It's cute. It's flirty. And we decide to date. We don't want to rock the boat, especially in areas where the women outnumber the men, single women outnumber the single men. So we don't want to rock the boat too much because... To have a man is better than to not have a man is sometimes the philosophy that's in the air and atmosphere. And so we go on, la la la, cha la 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 la. A couple of months down the line, he's consistent, he's calling, he's taking us out, he sends us little cutesy messages, we may have slept together, we have done things as a couple, I've introduced him to my family, he's introduced me to his family, and things are going well and beautifully. And months go on to a year, a year goes on to a couple, and then you're looking at him like, um, what about being in a relationship? I, I want to be monogamous. I want to move this on, not monogamous. I want to move this on to marriage. What do you think about marriage? And then you find out this man that you've given yourself to, this man you've fallen in love with, this man you want to build a future with, has decided he doesn't want marriage. He just wants to be together. He doesn't even want to live together because he appreciates his space and his time, the decisions he can make without checking in. He's gotten used to being a bachelor, and so here you are. You may be three years in by now, and you want marriage and the children, and you find out he doesn't want the kids. And so you find yourself feeling like you've wasted three years of time with someone who does not want the things you want, even though you love him and he loves you. So usually one of two things happens. Either it's a, um, this is not what I want, let's go our separate ways. Or if you do decide to stay, this is where one of two things happen. You um, compromise your your needs, thank you, Holy Spirit, your needs, and decide to stay in it, even though it's not going to uh, give you the thing that you want, or you go into it thinking, I can change him. That's, that's 
usually what happens. I'm not saying every time it's that, but I'm just saying sometimes we find ourselves in that spot. But what would have happened if when you saw this fine, fine standing there and he approached you or you approached him, however it went down, and you exchanged phone numbers and you talked on the phone for a few times and in that conversation over the phone, you said, hey, are you, first of all, are you single? Let's start there because so many times we talk to people and we don't find out information that's necessary. We don't even find out if they are in fact available. Because I hate to tell you this, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but there are people who are in marriages. There are people who are in monogamous relationships. There are serial daters. And you need to know that this person that you think is so fine is not available to you. Yeah, he may be able to call you and text you and take you out and things, but he's not emotionally available because he's attached to somebody else. So you want to know these things before it gets too far and your feelings get too deep. Because it's not fun falling in love with someone, being in love with someone, loving somebody that's not available. Whether they're not available physically because they're married and living with their spouse, even if they're separated, they still can't give you the relationship you want because they are already bound to someone else. So these conversations are good I know a lot of people are like, oh, we're just getting to know each other. Well, what do you think getting to know each other is? It's a point of you finding out where they are in life, what they have going on in life, and their desires in life. You need to find all these things out so that you know how to move. Because if he says he's had a vasectomy, can never have children, and you want five children, guess what? It's not a match. For as much as he's good to you or good for you or you feel like you can't um, operate without him, if he cannot or she cannot, because I know I'm doing it from the female to male, but it's also the uh, opposite too. If they cannot give you the desires that you have, the desires of your heart, then no matter how good, great, wonderful they are, it's not a match. And you will come to a point where you may, let me stop, not say will, you may resent them in the future because you stayed around with someone who was not able to give you the things that you desired. Have the tough conversations and not only have the tough conversations in the beginning, before the feeling, hear what they are saying, not what you want to be said. It's so important because we get to a point where we ask questions and they give us an answer. And when it's not the answer we want, we just push it aside like, oh, they'll change their mind. I'm such a great person. I'm such a great cook. I'm such a great cleaner. I'm so great in the bedroom. I'm so great of a person. I have all my stuff together. All my I's are dotted and all my T's are crossed. And they're just going to change their mind. Here's what I want to tell you. Maya Angelou said it best when she said, when a person tells you who they are, believe them. When a person tells you what they want or don't want, believe them. Because here's the thing, 70% of the time, what they say in the beginning 
is how they stay. Not everybody changes. Not every mind is changed, no matter how great you are. And the line that they'll say to you, what they'll give you is, I told you in the beginning how I felt. You decided to stay here on this ride, even though the ride said you must be this tall. You must have this going on in order to ride it. You decided to stay. I didn't force you to stay. I told you what it was from the beginning. What is understood? So you have to understand with full clarity what's going on around you, what's in their mind. See, none of us are mind readers. None of us know what a person is thinking 24-7, 365. Nobody knows. So you have to ask, so that you can have understanding. And it's not comfortable, especially if it's something we want to do or somebody we want to have or to be with. It's not comfortable asking questions because we might lose out on the opportunity to have that thing or be with that person. But I promise you in the long run, even though there's a hurt, it's better to tear, tear off the band-aid in the beginning than to wait until it's stuck on your skin and ease it off little by little. That's the most annoying pain. Sometimes you just have to rip it off and ask those questions immediately so you can have relief later. Andrea, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course I don't. I'm making this all up, but I will tell you this. When I was a young woman, I had one child. You know that I am from New Jersey. I always say this, so by now you definitely know where I'm from. When I was 24, I moved to Atlanta the first time. And when I moved to Atlanta the first time, I knew nothing or no one actually, except for my uncle. And he was very busy, so uh, he enabled me to meet up with a friend of his in order to move into a property that she, managed she was busy so she wasn't even there when I moved here I didn't have a car I didn't have a job I had nothing I was moving into Atlanta Georgia at 24 with a two-year-old daughter fresh I knew nobody I knew nothing about Atlanta I hadn't been there since I was 10 years old and fell in love with it then and so I was new new so I go into the office and I meet this gentleman who is very attractive And I'm just like, oh, hmm. You know, I got my flirtation going on in my mind like, oh, yes. He's too cute for me (laughs) not to throw the napkin on the floor and pick it up. You know what I'm saying, ladies. You know how we drop that napkin metaphorically (laughs) where we let you know that we're interested in you. And so, of course, I let my interest be known and he was interested. But here's the thing. We talked a lot. And one of the things he said to me in the very beginning was, I never wanted to date, get serious, nor marry a woman with a child. Well, what did I tell you at the beginning of this story? I had a two-year-old. And I had, this was my first No, 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 no. I take it back. This was my second um, interest in someone having a child. 
serious interest, serious, serious, because I had dated, you know, I had people who were serious about me, but this was somebody I was serious about. This was only the second person since I had had a child. And so when he said it, now I'm thinking of the mindset of who I was growing up and that I was spoiled and got my way and that there, can I just be honest with you? If I wanted somebody, it would work out. It would work itself out. I wasn't even concerned about what he was saying because I just knew I was this good person. I made him laugh. I was the best person in his life. He told me this a billion, gazillion times and he spent time and took us on trips and bought us things and took us places and um, paid for everything in my life. I had to pay for nothing, no bills, no anything. He just took care of everything, 100%. So I was like, oh yeah, this is just going to end in marriage. It has to. Come on. We're basically married though we don't live together we live very close to each other um and it's just going to be what it's going to be seven years later I found myself not married not in a serious monogamous relationship and I found myself full of resentment because I had given you seven years of my life I started out at 24 in this thing and I was no longer in my 20s I went through this huge depression huge depression I decided to break it off because it's not what I wanted here's the thing if I had truly listened to him it was already understood (laughs) he said it maybe week two maybe week three I have never, not I thought about it and I'm not sure, never. That means his mind and his heart was already set no matter what feelings came. He didn't want the responsibility of fathering someone else's child because he didn't want the responsibility of loving this child and raising this child as his own and then the biological showing up and causing problems and, and the child choosing the biological over him. We had this talk later on, so that's why I can tell you why he had this feeling. He wanted his own children. He wanted to be the only daddy. He wanted to get married, have children, be a husband and a father, and that's it. That's what he knew. That's what he grew up with. That's what we all want, honestly. I wanted to be married to someone I love, have their children, and live happily ever after since the age of five. That's all I wanted. He wanted that. So in my thinking, and can I be honest with you? I just want to be 100% honest with you. This is how I viewed things. I viewed it as my mother had gotten married the first time. She had me. It didn't work out. So my biological father went on his own, did his own thing. My mom married her best friend. Like, my dad was her best friend. So she got remarried to someone else. And that person I fell in love with as soon as my mother introduced us. I might have been four, I might have been five. I don't even remember, because they were married by the time I was six. Um, And so it went like the second marriage that my mother had was like the most beautiful marriage I had ever seen. They flirted, they teased each other, they laughed, they giggled. They may have argued, but they kept it away from us. Now we knew there might have been some tension in the air, but we weren't sure. We, you know, we were firmly rooted in ain't nothing happening with this family, to this family. We are 
together happily ever after, period. And that's what I grew up in. And so I believed that my first marriage wouldn't count. This is serious. I'm being, I want to be transparent with you because I want you to understand the mind of a child that grows up in this, that becomes the mind of an adult. So when I, um, my first serious relationship ended and I was heartbroken, I went into this rebound thing. So the person I wound up having a child with was not the person I had love for. We got married only to give my daughter a last name at my family's insistence. I didn't want to marry him. I didn't like him like that. He was cool to hang out with, you know, to take my mind off of who I was in love with, but I didn't like him like that. We we didn't talk about anything of significance. Like, he was the total opposite of the man I was in love with. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny, we might need to talk about that though in in other areas, but you have to know that sometimes you gravitate towards a person that does not remind you of another person only because you're trying to protect your heart. Because I know how in love I was with my ex-fiance. I knew I didn't want that. I'm trying to get over that. I'm trying to get away from that. I, I, I can't have anybody love me and me love them that much. They can't get that. I can't be that vulnerable. So I'm going to pick somebody that I think is a joke. Not that he was a joke, but for me and he, we were, we, we should have never happened. But we did. So when I got married to him, when I was saying I do, I had my fingers crossed behind my back. I will never forget it. The justice of the peace was looking at me and I looked at him and I was saying, in my mind, I was saying, sir, this is such a big lie. This is a hoax. I don't love him. I love somebody else. This is not who I want to marry. I was saying all of this looking in this man's eyes while I was smiling and saying, I do. Fingers crossed behind my back because I knew this was fake. This was phony. This is not the what. I had grown up watching Disney fairy tales, Disney princesses. This is not what I watched. This was not what I read. This ain't it because I know what real love feels like. I had felt it, <laughs> and this wasn't it. This wasn't even love. This was a, okay, you're cool. When are you leaving and going home? Okay, this is cool. We can chill for a minute, just so I won't call my ex-fiance and, and, and you know, try to get him back, you know, because I can't forgive him right now. This was all pain and stuff. So I had my first marriage. So in my mind, I'm thinking about my mother. My mother had a first marriage that didn't work. They broke up and divorced, and then she got her knight in shining armor. So I'm expecting, my first marriage didn't work, so let me hurry up and get this divorce and get the paperwork done so I can have my knight in shining armor. So when I meet this guy, I hadn't divorced yet. I just separated. I needed to do the paperwork for divorce, which happened while I was dating him. But I'm like, okay, knight in shining armor, you're here now. Just like my mother, her second marriage was the real one. That's the real, that's what you want. So now we need to link up and get married and stuff so I can emulate my parents and have this great life because you remind me a lot of my dad in that you're hardworking, you love your kids, you, you know, because um, he had ISIS. That was um, my oldest daughter. She's the only one I had, and he loves her so, I mean, just like a biological father. She, he, to me, is her father. He's always been that person and so I'm like oh this is just perfect this is starting to be that pattern that I see in my parents wonderful but in reality this was the fantasy in reality 
week two, week three, he had already told me what it was. He said, I have never wanted this. I don't want this, is what it really was. He said, I have never. But what he was really saying was, I don't want this. For the very reasons that I'm saying, I don't want to give 100% of myself. And then this other guy walks up and says, hey, this is my family. He didn't want to have to compete. He didn't want to have to share. He wanted to be the only. Now, I'm not saying if this is right or if that's wrong, but those are his feelings. That's how he felt. We can't tell a person that they can't have the feelings that they have. Who are we to tell people that? We try to. Oh, you're wrong to feel that way. Okay, they, you might not agree with it, but it might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for them or their upbringing because it doesn't bend to what we want. Now everybody is wrong who doesn't feel like we feel or think like we feel or think. That's false. Nobody put you on this earth and said, you are Lord and master of feelings and thoughts. However you feel and think is the only way to feel and think. And we get so caught up in, and and this is just a little segue, but I'm gonna come back to the highway we were on. We get so caught up in wanting to cancel people and criticize people and tell people off for the way they feel and think, but who? Who gave you authority to say that's right or wrong? And I'm not talking about going against the rules of the Bible or the rules of the land. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying if she decides to wear red hair today, who are you to tell her not to? If it looks good on her, now she doesn't look like a clown, what is it? Why can't she wear it? Now, we want to make sure that people look and sound and are their best. So if this detracts from the best, then okay, I understand that. But if it's something just because it doesn't flow with what we want, because we like black hair, we don't like colored hair, that's your opinion and feeling, and no one classified you as the know-it-all, as the know-all, be-all. That's God, not you. Okay, so back to the highway. He told me his feelings. I thought I could change his feelings because of the way he loved me. Because I thought that love was the answer for everything. That all it took was loving someone in order to change someone. That's what I thought. I thought it was just that simple. You love somebody, they loved you, and no matter what their feelings or emotions were, they would choose the love over their opinion and their feelings. Well, I got a wake-up call when that did not happen. I was seven years in. (laughs) I wasn't even close to an engagement. And so I'm sharing this with you that having those important conversations early is important, but what's even more important is listening to what is said. It's important that you hear the said things and the unsaid things and don't put any assumptions in it. What should have happened when he said, I have never wanted to be with a woman who has a child, I should have asked the question instead of assuming things in my mind, assuming that love will conquer all. I should have said to him, so where does that leave us? Because I have a daughter who is my priority. We are a package. We are. There is no me without her. I'm not giving her away. I'm not mistreating her. She's number one in my life. So what do we do? And then at that point, we could have talked. And he could have said, well, 
I'm not going to marry you. If you want marriage and children, that's not what I want. And that would have given me the opportunity. My feelings would have been hurt. My heart would have been a little hurt. But guess what? It would have saved me seven years. If he had said to me, it's not what I want, then I could have casually dated him and dated other people. Because don't you know, during the time we were dating, we were not exclusive. Though we did exclusive things. Though he treated me like I was the only woman in his life, I wasn't. I'm being honest with you. I really want to be transparent with you tonight because I want you to understand. I was not the only woman in his life. He wanted me, though, to be exclusive to him because he was paying for everything. So he wanted me to give 100% to him where he was giving me 60%, 55%. And anyone who knows Andrea not going to happen the only thing was I prioritized him so there were people who were in my life but I wasn't allowed to date them we were friends and I missed out I really believe this with everything in me I honestly believe that there was someone for me in the friends that I had but because I was dating him he blocked me having access to them and so I missed out and that's another regret I had in the whole seven years I regretted and resented him not only for my heart and wasted time but you were in a spot somebody else deserved to be in you didn't deserve to be in that spot because you did not want what I wanted but I can't blame him I chose it assuming instead of choosing it asking questions and understanding see it would have been one thing if we had the talk that he had and I went further Now, if I said, okay, well, he said he doesn't want to get married. He's not going to marry me. If I had gone forward with it, that's all on Andrea. That was me. But because we didn't have it, I had a resentment for it because I was like, you had me hanging around. You had me on a string just holding on for no reason. But he did tell me in the beginning. It was my assumption that, okay, you haven't been in love with anyone like you've been in love with me. You said it out of your own mouth many times. So because of that, I just know my love is going to win. And it didn't. So I'm saying to you, using myself as an example, have those hard conversations. Have them in the beginning and then hear what's being said. It's so important that you understand for yourself what the situation is before you walk into it half blind. Because you may have some information, but you need to have all of the information. We'll continue after the break. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. So we're talking about what's understood and got to be explained. Our last segment, we talked about relationships, and I just want to close out by talking about other things in life. There's nothing like assuming you're going into business with someone and thinking you know how it's going to go forward, especially when it's someone that's either a friend or family member to you, an associate, somebody very close to you. Sometimes we're lax about finding out information. That's my homie. That's my friend, you know what I'm saying? And so we don't get all the information as if we would a stranger. 
The problem is whether it's a stranger or a family member, someone known, a friend, is you still need the information. So you're not assuming so that you know what it is. There are times when even in business, even in ministry, even in your foundations and the things that you have going on, you need to find out exactly what you're getting into. So you need to have those conversations, even though it may feel awkward because you're like, oh, I'm a business person. They're a business person. We're just merging our two businesses. But find out exactly what it entails because you want to know that when the um, bills come, who's paying them? What, what organizations are we going to service? Who is going to handle the face of the company when we're marketing? Whose face is out front? Is it both of us? Is it one of us? Who's in the background taking care of business? What is your function? What is your duty? What is your responsibility? And yeah, we get the paper <laughs> that has job duties and responsibilities on it, but we don't always list everything that a person does. So it's good to have these conversations before you sign your name on the dotted line because you want to know and not assume what's going to happen in this endeavor. So just like you're having these hard talks in relationships, you need to have these hard conversations in your business, in your foundation, in your companies, in your um, enterprises, in your empire building, whatever it is, you still want to have these same conversations and you still want to listen for clarity. You want to understand what's being said and have the knowledge of it. So the same principle applies. And I need you to get that because there are so many people who are living who thought, who assumed, but they didn't understand it. They didn't have the information in detail. And now they're finding themselves being resentful and angry and bitter towards people because they didn't ask the questions. They didn't want to rock the boat, shake the boat. I know sometimes we are blessed with opportunity. Opportunity comes knocking. And we're like, yes, opportunity, yes, here it goes. And then you get involved and you're like, oh, this isn't what I want. And I have found myself in this situation many times where I'm like, oh, it sounds great, wonderful. And I'm just gung-ho, let's do it. And then when I'm in it, I'm like, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not, this not it. But now I'm in it. So now I have to have the hard talks at the middle, in the middle, instead of having the hard questions answered in the beginning to find out, okay, exactly what is your expectation? What will I be doing? What do you need me to do? How many hours? What, you know, you have to have all those conversations. And what helps me now is when opportunities come, I pray first. I'm just being honest with you. Because Andrea will jump and do a thing because it sounds wonderful or because it helps someone I care about. Or can I be frank? Because the dollars look great. They make sense. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, I'm in this situation where I need this right here. It's enough to help me get out of the hole I'm in. But then I find myself in another hole because now I don't have the time to do the other thing I'm supposed to be doing. Or I don't have the time to commit or I'm exhausted so I'm not giving 100%. And that's not fair to anyone you work with. 
So what I do now is when opportunities come, I don't even jump. I'll say, okay, um, can I get back to you? Let's meet. And I have my notebook, my handy dandy notepad, (laughs) my trusted pen, and I'm taking notes and I'm asking questions and I'll try to ask everything I can think of. And then I'm now, now, only now, this was not Andrea last year or the year before that or the year before that, but now I say, may I think about it, please? And for the people who say, I need an answer right now, it's a no. I'm sorry, I can't do it. Even if I can do it, but here's the thing. If you're not giving me enough time to process it and to go to my father with it, we're not going to work well together. Because, see, I have been a spur of the moment, uh, let's just do it, act first, think later person my entire life. And I prayed and asked God to get me out of that thinking. So if I'm praying and asking God for that, and you're going to bring me back to who I used to be, oh, we can't work together. No, not when I'm trying to be better and different. And you're taking me back to who I used to be. And I asked to be, see, when God releases you from Egypt, do not go back. (laughs) I always said that in life, and I still say it. If he releases you from a thing, be released. Be ye released. Do not go back. There is a reason you wanted to leave, you prayed to leave, you begged to leave, and now God has given you the opportunity to go. Please don't go back. And that's how I've been. And my mother, when I was younger, she used to tell me all the time, never go back. Never go back to a relationship. Never go back to a job. Never go back to an opportunity. Just don't go back. Do all you can do while you're there so when you leave, you're gone. Period. You've done all you can do. You've given everything, 100% everything that you had. It didn't work. There's no reason for you to go back. She preached that. I also put that in relationships unfortunately when it came to forgiveness you don't forgive you don't give another chance a second chance I didn't understand forgiveness didn't mean you had to go back but it meant releasing the guilt that the person releasing what they've done to you releasing you know what I mean and so I never forgave until whoo I was in my 30s somewhere (laughs) mid 30s before I forgave my first person I held grudges and everything So be careful what you say to your children. Make sure they understand what's being uh, being said. So you have to make sure it's understood for a child what you mean and what you say because we have our own way of thinking when we're young. And it may not make sense when we're adults, but it makes a lot of sense when we're children. But back to the highway that we were driving on. So make sure that you get all the information you could possibly give get rather before you make a decision and don't decide right then even if you know in your heart it's a yes still ask to think about it still I don't know who I'm talking to but you have been grappling with an opportunity pray and ask God for your answer and whether it's yes or no At least you'll feel better about it because you have received great counsel, godly counsel about it. And it worked. 
I promise you it does. I, I, I'm, I'm not giving you anything I have not lived through or done. You know that. I'm... And welcome back. I want to leave you with this. It's time for you to have the hard conversations. It's time for you to ask the hard questions. But it's also time for you to say the hard things. You may be on the other end of the conversation. You may be the one the person is coming to to find out information from. And most people don't want to hurt people. Most people don't want to stomp on someone's toes or hurt their feelings. However, you need to say the hard thing. It was hurtful for me to hear that someone wasn't interested in me. It was hurtful to me to hear I didn't qualify for a position. It was hurtful for me to hear I didn't get the job. Those things hurt. What would have hurt more is if the person who wasn't interested in me led me on and I gained deeper feelings for them. And then they said, oh, you're just my friend. I'm not interested in you in that way. See, there are times that there are people who have agendas. Let's just be honest and real, okay? There are some people who have agendas. They want everything that comes with a relationship, but they want the opportunity to walk away from it at any time, at any moment. Unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that those people did not exist. However, they do. For you, it's better to have the conversation and say what needs to be said to avoid heartbreak later on. I've been in the position where I have had to say to someone, I'm not interested in you. One of the hardest things I think ever that I've had to do was tell a man I was not interested in him. Males have an ego, and the first thing they asked was, why not? What's wrong? What's wrong with you? Whereas when I've been on the other side of it, I've asked, what's wrong with me? And so I've had to defend my decision. And that's not an easy position, especially for someone who was a people pleaser. My life was about pleasing people because I wanted to be accepted, approved, and validated all my life. And so I didn't want to make anybody mad. I realized I grew up with this. These are issues that I'm working on, continue to work on. I learned that it is okay (laughs) to say no. You have to get comfortable in your no. It's okay to say no. You have the right. No is a whole sentence. You don't have to explain. I used to over-explain everything. My kids would be like, Mom, please, just say no. But I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't want them mad at me, upset with me. So I did to them what I had to learn to do with my mom. See, a lot of things that we learn come from our upbringing. In my household, you could not respond no or yes. You could not respond yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. There had to be a whole explanation, and that's what I grew up in. 
And I'm so glad to be released from that, but I'm still working on that release because I had to over explain myself. I learned to over explain myself. I would be in the midst of over explaining myself and going crazy. Like, why do I have to say all of this? Just accept what I'm telling you. And it wouldn't even be the person. It was me. Like, they would ask me for something. I'm like, no, because you see, and then, and if, but if I could. Ten minutes later for an explanation, and I'm getting stressed and more stressed. I'm bowed down with the pressure. That sometimes I would swap it and say, you know what, forget it, I'll just do it. Because I was more consumed by the stress of saying no and giving an explanation and just saying no. So when my kids came along and they would want to do something, I'm like, well, no, but see, if I could, I would, but I can't. And then, and my oldest daughter was like, mom, please, <laughs> we don't need all that. We understand. You can't do it. It's a no. And I will look at them because I got like 30 more minutes of explanation to give. And they stopped me at minute three. And I'm just like, this is not how it rolls. I got to give you explanation. I got to make it better. I got to soothe it so that you're not mad at me or have hurt feelings. I got to soothe it so you can get my um, the way I'm thinking and understand. And they're like, but we understood. We understood when you said no. And they're the ones that trained me to be okay with saying no. And do you know, <laughs> there are people who I've encountered that will not accept a no. Now they want me to go back into that people pleasing, but no, but see, if I could, I would. You know what, forget it, just yes. But I've learned to give you two sentences. I can't do it. I have such and such and such. And then I'm done. Now I have to get to a place of being able to say no and not having to give you a reason. I, I'm still at no if I could do it, but I have something else. I'm still giving an uh, explanation. I'm not over explaining anymore, but now I'm explaining. So now I have to get to a point where I'm saying, I'm sorry, I can't. And walk away and know that you'll be okay. And if not, then we won't be okay. But it's really that serious when we're talking about self-care. When I talk about self-care, one of the things that I talk about in my book, 31 Ways to Self-Care, is prioritizing yourself. I need to come back and do a 32 ways because I need to talk about letting your no be no. And being all right with it. Because it is okay. You have the right to say no. You have the authority, this is your life. People are asking you to sacrifice from your life. And if you can't do it, you can't. It's so stressful to try to please people. It's stressful. What I've learned, you cannot please people because even at you doing what they want you to do, there's still another piece. Or if you get them happy, then it's another person who's not happy who has something to say. Then you're trying to fix it for them. And then another person is not happy because you're trying to fix it for them. You will drive yourself crazy trying to please people. 
So what I've learned, there are two people I need to please, and this is honest, God and myself. If we're good, we good. (laughs) And I don't mean to sound selfish and unconcerned, because I am concerned, but if I know I can't do it, then I cannot do it. And if you get angry with me, you get angry with me. I'm going to stop throwing out my books, but that's what this is all based on. In Seeing Past the Storm, my new book that was released last month, yay, I'm excited still, my third baby, I talked about betrayal and having a friend who stopped her friendship because I told her no. It was one of the hardest things I had to deal with. And it was hard because this person and I had been friends for years, very close, best friends, but not just best friend in my family. And she knew so much. She was there through the meeting of my fiance and being in love and the stuff that happened in our relationship, during the relationship, after the late relationship, years after she was still there. She had moved to Atlanta a year or two after I moved, went to school, blah, blah, blah. We were still thick as thieves. This is my girl, my ace. We was down like four flat tires, that person. And I just knew we were going to get old together. We were going to have children. Well, I already had a child, but I knew we were going to get married, have the barbecues in the back, travel all over the world. She was going to be successful. I was going to be successful. And one day she called me. And she asked me a favor. And the favor was huge. Huge for her life and huge for my life. I was unable to say yes. And I tried. I called my mother. That's how serious it was. Because I was like, how can I figure this out to tell her yes? And my mother said, there's absolutely no way you can say yes. And I'm like, but there's got to be. This is my friend. This is my ace. This is my sister. This is my rock. This is my people. There's got to be a way that I can say yes. And my mother was like, absolutely, you cannot. And then I went to the guy who I was in the seven-year relationship with and asked him. And and, and he was like, absolutely not. Remember, he's the one paying the bills, right? He was like, absolutely not. You cannot do it. We could try to find another way. And so he was trying to figure out another way to do this thing that she needed to be done without it coming through me. And I felt excited. I was like, okay. So my no doesn't have to be a no because we're working on it. So I called her up and I explained to her, over explained, because remember I'm still in over explanation because my um, baby is only two or three at the four, maybe four at the time. So she hadn't had this talk about the over explaining yet. So I'm calling her and I'm like, I can't do it. I really tried to figure it out. I've talked to my mom I've talked to the boyfriend and I I can't do it this way however don't lose heart because he's working on a way and she cussed me slam out called me everything but a child of God and my heart was pricked I was in not fall ugly cry tears because I couldn't believe the person I rocked with was talking to me like this and then saying the things that she was saying about me And what hurt me, number three, was the person who I used to be, I kind of was still then. So the Incredible Hulk person that was in me was starting to be stirred up. That Angie chick that I tell y'all about, that we don't need to ever meet her, was starting to rise up like, hold up, hold up, hold up. We don't let people talk to us like this. 
and I'm beating her down like listen this is a friend and they're like no a friend wouldn't talk to you like this a friend wouldn't say this about you and I'm just sitting here because I'm conflicted all the way around because I'm battling emotional um stuff the negative emotions of who I you know I'm trying to mature past this angry all the time beast person and people who said less than you got you know knocked in the mouth and I'm you just saying all this stuff and you know the um buttons to push and you know the information you just spewing it and I'm sitting here and taking it and I'm like hold up listen and you just going off and then hung up on me and I'm sitting here now I'm in between devastation and rage because I'm like what the whole all these years everything is like it's not like I've never done anything for you like I broke my back to make sure you were good and things were taken care of and we were straight there were times I didn't have it and you had it for us there are times that you didn't have it and I had it for us I'm always trying I was always trying to be that person and you just called me all kinds of stuff and said and I just was like whoa but then as I'm seizing because I was I get a call from her friend who goes off on me? Meet me outside, baby. Ain't nothing but a word. What you said? And I'm like, no, Andrea. Like, eh, you don't want to be that person anymore. You don't want to go to jail behind somebody. It's not worth that. And it hurt me. So now you telling your friends your side of it. And your friends are calling me and trying me now. So I was eat when I say rage delicious, that was me. And it hurt. The, the, the real emotion was the hurt and betrayal that I felt then it became rage because you're pushing buttons that you should not ever push as a friend you're saying things that as a friend you should never say and so I had all these emotions just boiling up in me and the thing that got me was that my no wasn't a strict no like no forget you move on do what you got to do I don't care my no was I can't I'm trying to figure it out and there's no way I cannot do it but there may be something we can do because of the person I date and the connections he has so we may be able to hook you up but now that you've acted like this and said all of this and done all this forget it because I still was that I was still immature so I was like no I I might be able to bless you but guess what nope and that stuck with me so now I have all of this so I already was stressing with telling people no but now for real I don't want to tell people no because I don't want to lose friendships I don't want to go back to that uh, dark place I don't want to lose my head and say something do something to hurt people So now it really piled on me and I truly was not released until first I learned how to forgive that 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 forgiveness was like the key to everything else but even in the everything else it still took years like I still work on something often (laughs) writing seeing past the storm helped me to see nine of the areas that I struggled with growing up and nine areas that I'm still working on but guess what those are only nine areas I shared with you there's more there's much more so we are a daily work every day we should be working on something in our lives that helps us to become a better us 
We are never, ever finished becoming because none of us is perfect. However, we can be better than who we used to be. We can be better than we were today. And that should not be your only competition in life, being better than who you were yesterday. It should not be your sister, your, your friends, your co-workers, your uh, students. None of, nobody should be your competition. You are your only competition and the you that you were was your competition because you're striving to be better. And so I want to say that to you as you're having these hard conversations that it's okay that you may have to say you're not the person I want to date. You're not the person I want to marry. I don't want to get married. I don't want to have children. I don't want to shack. I don't want to live with anyone. I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship. It's okay to have those hard talks. You don't qualify for the opportunity that I have. I can't help you out of a situation. It's okay to have that conversation. It's okay to feel those things because it's real. Now, don't be tactless and malicious when you do it. Don't go gunning for people and trying to hurt people and have revenge for people. No, 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 no. I mean, straight from your heart, honesty with also compassion because there are some people who say things and they're really tactless they come at you with both guns drawn and that will cause a whole lot of issues that are unnecessary that's a whole different topic for another day but i want you to be able to ask tell and hear the hard things so that you can move forward things that are understood do not have to be explained later on because you go in with full knowledge, full understanding, full sight. So when you say yes to a thing, when you involve yourself in a thing, you know exactly what you're getting into before you get into it and find yourself stuck. I hope I've helped you. I hope that you get this and that it's helpful to you because we are concentrating on loving ourselves, right? Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce is about loving yourself. I'm not holding any chasers. I'm being transparent with you because I want to help you. I want you to feel good about yourself, good about your choices and decisions, good about your life. And not only are you feeling good about a thing, but you're achieving things and getting better with things that's what this is all about because I want you to be and feel and do better thank you so much for tuning in tonight I will see you next week same time same station bless you Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to With Ministries, Word in the House Ministries. I am your host, Andrea, Minister Andrea Carr. It's so great to see you. Okay, can you see me well? Can you see me? Okay, good. Let me move a little bit this way. So this morning, I appreciate you for tuning in. It's very early this morning. We're looking at 7 a.m. We're back in the building. I am so excited. Thank you to everyone who reached out to me to ask me to return to 
uh, broadcast. Um, I appreciate your prayers and your requests. You know, sometimes you just get a little busy and you put things before other things and then you forget to go back to what God called you to do. So I'm excited that uh, he didn't forget about me, um, that uh, the commission he gave me was still the commission, <laughs> that it didn't change no matter even if I changed and if I changed things up. So I'm really excited about that this morning. So today, we're going to be talking from the text, They That Mourn. If you have your Bibles available and ready, please turn to the book of John. We'll be in the 11th chapter. Um, I appreciate you so much again for tuning in. And um, I just want to say a very special shout out to uh, those that are attached to me, those who have been in my life, those that are still in my life, those that I've met for a quick second. I just pray that God blesses you this morning. Um, I felt an unction that I needed to pray for peace. So before I came in, I did pray for peace. And I'm praying that you have peace in your life, peace in your heart, peace in your mind right now. That whatever you're facing, that God will bring you out of it. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at John, the 11th chapter. And we're talking about a story we've talked about many times. And that is the story of Lazarus and the fact that Jesus raised him from the dead. Now, you all may know the story, the backstory. If not, please read uh, from chapter 11, verses 1 through verse, ooh, I think it goes all the way down to 46, okay? Um, in your own reading and in your own time, because I'm not going to go through all of that. <clears throat> Excuse me, God actually gave me uh, something to talk about that, um, I, I don't think I've ever talked about, um, and it concerns those who are heavy in their heart, who have had some issues with loss. Um, and so I want to talk to you briefly in our time allotted about that, they that mourn. Um, and we're going to look at verse 21 in chapter 11. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse 32. So when Mary came to the, came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord God, asking that you would cleanse us out, Father God, that you would give us a mind and a heart to hear what thus saith you, Lord God. There are many things that we stand in need of, Father God, so we know that you are Jehovah Jireh, the greatest provider, Lord God, the God who provides. So we're asking that you would provide for us, Lord God. For those who are uh, need a healing, Lord God, we ask that you would come through Jehovah Rapha and heal their bodies, Lord God, their minds, their hearts, whatever needs healing, Lord God. And my special petition goes to those who mourn, Lord God, those who are grieving, Lord God, whether it's the loss of a loved one, Lord God, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, Lord God, loss of income, Father God, loss of friends, Lord God, whatever they have lost, Lord God. I ask that you would come in and be the comforter that you are, Father. Comfort them right now, Lord God, but not only comfort them, 
give them inspiration and hope for a new opportunity, Lord God, a new opportunity to allow others in their hearts and love to flow, Lord God, that you would release them from the grief. We know that we never forget those that we love, Lord God, but you ease the discomfort and pain that we feel. So I ask for your easement today, Father God. Now touch every listener, Father God, every person attached to me right now and give them a peace, Lord God. Blow your Ruha breath, Lord God, so that they would feel at ease this morning, Lord God. We thank you for the word. I ask that you would move through me, Lord God. Forgive me of any and everything that I've done, said, or thought, Lord God, so that you can flow in me and your words flow out of me. Let it be all about you and not about me, Lord God. Take over me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're talking this morning about they that mourn. And we looked at two verses. I'm not going to talk about the whole story of Lazarus. I want you to read that. Uh, John records it in the 11th chapter. And so I want you to take moments to read um, from verses 1 through 46 so you get the whole story of what's going on at that time. My focus this morning is verses 21 and verses 32. Verse 21 says, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32 says, So when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we're looking at a time, and let's go back just a little bit, a brief summary where Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus. He had come to their house. Lazarus was their brother. Mary and Martha were sisters. He had come to their house before and spent time. It is said that they were very good friends of his. Martha, rather Mary, is the one who bathed Jesus with her hair, remember? He also was invited to the home where um, the feet were washed and he was sitting back and eating. He broke bread with them. And remember, Martha was busy, busy, busy getting things prepared for the meal she was going to fix Jesus. She was doing all the activities um, yet she didn't spend time with Jesus. And then she went to him and said, can you release my sister Mary who's sitting at your feet talking with you because she has work to do? And he said, in all actuality, Mary is the right one because she's sitting here where the blessing is, where the blesser is, where the light is, where the teacher is, where the rabbi is. She's doing the things she's supposed to be doing. And we talked for a little bit about being busy about Jesus and actually being in Jesus, being in um, worship and being in the learning and the teaching and everything and not missing it by being so busy doing the works instead of being busy in the word. Remember, we discussed that. So if you'll go back a couple of chapters, you'll hear the story of Mary and Martha and how we didn't want to be Martha and be so busy about working the kingdom that we missed the kingdom when it was right there when God wanted a visitation with you but you were so busy cleaning the church or putting together care packages or feeding or and those things are important but don't get so busy that you miss your time with God that you miss the um, move of God that you miss the command of God the conversation with God is also very important And so we talked about that years ago. And so we may need to revisit that because as the world changes, sometimes it's good to be reminded of what's important. Sometimes we get so busy in the work 
that we forget to be busy in the conversation with God or the word of God. We get so busy, we don't have time for prayer or Bible study or reading the Bible or spending time in worship or going to church or listening to the word or just being silent and letting God speak to us. We get so busy. And in 2020, when COVID hit, one of the things that happened was that we found time. We found time to spend with our families. We spent time uh, getting our businesses together, writing our business plans. We found time, time we thought we didn't have. So let's not forget that just because the world is opening, reopening, that we take don't take time to be with family anymore, that we don't have those meals at the table, that we don't sit and, and take a few minutes, at least five minutes a day, I always ask to put together that business plan or work on your business prospectus or whatever it is that you have going on. Don't let the world's reopening push you to forget the very things that God was trying to teach you in 2020, like taking time to self-care, taking time to prioritize yourself, taking time to have fun and to laugh and to live and to learn. Still take those moments, just put it in your day. If you shape your day, your day can't shape you. So you have to take the reins. You have to take control of that time in order to put your things in order. So that way your day will be organized. It's nothing like thinking and giving control to something that doesn't or isn't supposed to have control. So that's what I want to remind you of today. For somebody that's important, you're forgetting everything you learned in 2020. Heck, that might be for me. And you're so busy letting the world tell you and dictate to you what you're supposed to be doing. But 2020 gave you a voice. 2020 told you how to speak out. 2020 taught you what to prioritize. So get back to that. Even if you have to take a few minutes today and every day just to write down in your planner what you have going on. See, I have something for Sunday, and I was laughing because I was like, oh, it's blank. But see, I have my days. This is my daily planner, so I daily write down what I'm going to prioritize. And it's great to have a schedule a week in advance. It really is, but I want to say this to you. Make it realistic. Make any tweaks and changes that you have to make so it's real. Don't over-promise, not even to yourself. Under-promise, over-sell. So that was for somebody this morning. So let's get here. They that mourn. 2020, what a year. Now, I won't say it's not like we have not had loss in any other year. Because I know for me, I can say I've honestly lost more people than I have fingers and toes to count in my lifetime. Um, there was a time, a point in time when I couldn't breathe because I had so much death in my family. It was one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then we might have a year where I could breathe. Then it'd be one after the other, the other, and the other. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So here I am sitting at the age that I'm sitting at. I no longer have grandparents. I don't have fathers. I've lost aunts. I've lost uncles. I've lost cousins. Um, and so it, 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 friends, really close friends that were closer than family. I've had a lot of loss and throughout that loss, one of the biggest issues to hit was how do I cope? How, how do I cope through the loss of losing people? 
And sometimes the losses weren't through death. There were some losses I took besides death in the ending of relationships, whether they were friendships or connections or relationships. And you mourn those, whether it was through divorce or through breakup or through betrayal, whatever it was, there were losses. How do you cope when you love someone and they're no longer there? That 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 is one of the hardest things. It, it it's to me, loss <laughs> is one of the hardest things you go through in life. There are people who lose not only people, but they lose jobs, they lose stability, they lose security, they lose homes, and those are hard to deal with. Loss is hard, and we don't want to minimalize anyone's loss. The fact that you lost anything, you have to heal from it. People may laugh and say, oh, well, you know, you lost I'm just going to be facetious right now. You lost a pen. Oh, get over it. Loss is loss. If it meant something to you, if they meant something to you, it still hurts. Even if you never talk to the person again, to know that they're no longer here is a hurt. So I pray healing over all your losses. Anything that you're mourning or grieving or affected by or it's hard for you to cope with, I pray for you today. So as we're thinking about losses, verse 21. Now we talked about Martha a few minutes ago because I wanted to remind you of who Martha was. She was the one that was busy about the business of preparing for Jesus, getting the food together and the house together and the chores together. She was preparing for Jesus while her sister Mary was spending time with Jesus getting the word and being poured into and and sitting at the the feet of the wise one, right? So Martha, the busy one, the one that Jesus had to correct a little bit, saying, you should be in here. Don't worry about the food and feeding me and all of that. You should be feeding on the word of God, not worrying about feeding food to your body, right? And so Martha says to Jesus, because her brother has died, it's been four days since his death. He's put into the tombstone, into the grave, not the tombstone, in the tomb, put into the grave, and the um, stone has been put in place how they bury their dead. He's been dead four days when Jesus comes. Jesus stands at the gate. He doesn't even go into the city yet. Because remember, they were trying to stone him. If you read um, in verse, uh, not verse, but chapter 10, if you go back, they uh, ran Jesus out of time, out of town. Um, So um, here he is. He's not supposed to be here. But because this is his dear friend, he comes back. And we're on day four. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I want to get into something a little emotional. It was emotional for me, but I want to share with you in hopes that it will bless you and heal you and give you comfort because during this time, it's so important to have comfort and peace. So I understand, Martha, and the reason this is interesting to me is because both sisters said the same thing. You have one sister who was busy about the business of the word. And you had another sister who was busy in the work. 
You had one who was preparing for the arrival of Jesus and one who was in the arrival of Jesus, who was sitting at his feet, who was who was there gleaning from him. So you have, and I, I want to break this down so you get it, you have one sister who was doing the work, one sister who was hearing the word. You had one sister who was doing the activity. You had another sister who was not being active in busy work, but being active in listening and hearing what thus saith the Lord. So what I'm saying to you is you had one sister who wasn't in the word and one sister who was in the word. You had one sister who was in the world and one sister who was in the word. I want you to get this because these are two different perspectives. These are two different areas. These are two different elements happening right here. We have a representation of the believer and a representation of a busy person. I'm not going to call her a non-believer because Martha believed, but she was believing in the wrong thing. She was the one that believed my works will get me into heaven, whereas you had a sister who believed the word will get me into heaven. My works will make everything all right. The word will make everything all right. So you had two different mindsets, two different things going on. And the reason I'm showing and sharing this with you today is because though they had two mindsets, two different beliefs, two different ideas, both had the same question, the same outpouring, the same wording, the same idea. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I'm sharing that with you because whether you are a believer, whether you are in the world, there are times that we go to God and ask, why? Why did this happen? Had you been here had you answered me, had you listened to my prayer, if you had heard my pouring out of my heart and my wails and my weeping and my tears, this situation wouldn't happen. If you are really God, why did this happen? If you truly have power, how could this have happened? How could you have allowed this to happen? That's where I want to bring you to today. Because as I read this, Martha represents the busy person, the person who may not have time for God, the person who may not believe fully in God, the person who has some doubt, like Doubting Thomas. This person is in more in the world than they are into the word. They may be hopscotching back one side in the world, one side in Christ. But then you have the representative the believer, the one who reads the word, who, who reads the Bible, who does Bible study, who teaches and preaches, who lays on of hands, who heals, who knows the scripture backwards and forwards and can quote you any scripture in the Bible and breaks down and exegize it. I think that's how you say it. See, here I go putting words in. Who who breaks it down and and, and, and uh speaks it to people who may preach in the pulpit, who may go and feed the homeless, who may 
be this person that's just in the word and carries the cross daily. Picks it up and carries it daily. Come on now. Two representatives. And I never saw it before, but when God wants you to see a thing, God will help you see a thing. And he showed me that there may be two mindsets, one that's heavy into the word and one that's heavy in the world. But we all have some of the same questions. We may have some of the same ideas. And so God wanted to share today through me, things happen regardless if you're in the world or you're in the word. See, death is guaranteed. Loss is guaranteed. You won't always have the things or the people or the places you started with. You may live in the same town, be in the same house that you were born in, but there's a guarantee that 40 years later, there's going to be some change. Whether your neighbors around you change or the house changes because you've built it up or it has fallen down. Whether the people who shared the house with you are still there or they're gone now. There are going to be some changes in your life. And as those changes happen, there may be some mourning. There may be some question. There may be some doubt. Because God, if you are truly who you say you are, if you are the master of the world, of the entire world, if death and life you control, if you can just speak a thing and it becomes, if you truly are king of kings and lord of lords, if you truly are Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. If you truly are Jehovah Rapha, the father that heals, the Lord that heals. If you really are Jehovah Nisi, the one that goes before us. If you really are who you say you are, Elohim, Adonai, you are who you are, the great I am that I am. If you are truly this spirit with all this power, why? Why death? Why that one? Why at that time? How could a Lord, a Father, a God who loves his people, who loves his children, watch as a hundred people die in an avalanche or three children get raped or people are displaced? How, Father, the one of love, the father who loves and forgives and who has mercy and favor. How would you allow these things to happen? So are you here? Because the word says that you're everywhere all at once. The word says that you know things before time and in time, way in the future. So if you are who you say you are and we are to believe it, how in our mind do we believe that you are who you are when these bad things happen? How did you take this person? How did you allow this person to go through that tragedy? How do you allow me to not go, um, um, not to get the promotion? If you really are who you say you are and you said if I pray and ask 
that you will deliver it, that you will give it. Why when I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, why didn't it happen? Why did he or she still die? Why did I lose that house? Why did I lose my car? Why did I lose my job? Why were my children suffering? Why, God? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. We first have to look at those real emotions before we can go further into the text. We have to see real emotion, how we really feel, what's really true in our minds, in our hearts, things that we may never say to a person, but God knows what we think. God knows what we feel. So today we are bringing it out. We're talking about it. God, how? How could you allow this? Why would you allow this? I remember December 2004 as if it were yesterday. I had gotten the second call to go see my dad, the one who raised me, Daniel Cameron, the one who my mother and I married. She just reminded me of this when I was at her house um, the day before yesterday. When my parents married, and this would be my bonus dad, who I don't call stepfather, and it, it, it irritates me to have to use that terminology, but I use it to differentiate between him and my biological father. We were sitting, my mom was talking to me, reminding me when I was six that I married my dad because we were at the courthouse getting married on Valentine's Day, yes we. Um, My dad had already asked if it would be okay for him to marry my mom and I was like, of course, sure, yeah. And so we go to the courthouse for the wedding ceremony and it was filmed. So I was on TV at the age of six. And as it was being filmed, the uh, um, judge, you know, uh, the court official was, you know, doing the ceremony. And so the words that the bride would say to the husband, I was saying. So they laughed and they said, well, you have married your daughter. You two are now bound to each other for life. She is your daughter. She has said, I do, to being your child. And they laughed about it. And my parents, of course, laughed about it. But when I thought about it, that was a true statement because when someone chooses you, right? You make a choice together to be bound together. And that day um, in 1979, as a matter of fact, before I turned seven, I chose to be the daughter to this man and he chose to be the father to me. And we said, I do. Now, we're not going to talk about everything that happened between that time and how I was a rebel and and just, whew, so much happened. Um, We found our way back. Well, he never left. It was me. Kind of like God, how we leave God and say, oh, God left me, but God is right there. We're the ones that walk away. So I kind of walked away from the relationship because I had my own issues, daddy issues, biological father issues. Um, But we became very, very, very close. We had started out close. And then there was a gap because of my, my, my choices and rebelliousness in, in, in the child's mind. And then we came back together and got closer than we had even been in the beginning. So December 2004, I got the phone call. Um, if you want to see your dad before he passes, you need to come. 
um, I had just learned the month before that he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so I was just like, what do you mean? Now, I didn't have a close relationship with God at this point. Um, My relationship actually with God came after (laughs) all of this. Uh, It came in 2005 and um, on. So here in 2004, December of 2004, I didn't have a close relationship with God, but I knew Bible stories. I knew where to find things in the Bible. I knew that um, you could pray and ask God for things. I just didn't know how to pray at this point. I told you I knew two prayers, the Lord's Prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. If I ever was called to pray at church, my mom would give me one of those little prayer booklets. I got to find those. Those were so on point. And um, I have a friend who wrote a book, Niche Eileen. Well, Tanisha Tuck, that's her real name. She wrote a book called The Ebbs and Flows of Prayer, Everyday Prayers for Everyday People. It's on Amazon. And this helps me to this day because there are times when there are things going on and you need a little help in, in praying. Not that you don't know how to pray because trust me, I know how to pray. I prayed to learn how to pray. Um, And my prayers get through. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I I know my power in prayer. But there are times sometimes when you're just over it, when you're sick, when you're laying down, when you're not feeling your, you know, your everything that you can pick up a book and see this is called help when you might need help. So it wasn't meant to be a plug, but Tanisha E. Tuck. The ebbs and flows of prayer, everyday prayers for everyday people. I keep it right by my bed so that way if there are times that I need to pray or I feel an unction to pray, but yet I don't have words. Though the Holy Spirit will give you words, there are also other resources that you can use. Sometimes a moan is a prayer. Sometimes weeping is a prayer. That's for somebody. So all I knew was I love my dad. I was pregnant with my third child and I needed my dad. I needed him. I know I had made choices that kind of separated me from my family. I didn't want them in my business. I, 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 I went through that stage a couple of times in life where I made a choice and I felt the, I was trying to think of the thing that happens, the backlash, thank you, Holy Spirit, of the choice. So I would remove myself because I never wanted to see or hear, I told you so, or be a disappointment again. (laughs) You know, when you're that person who disappoints people, you don't want to disappoint them again. Give them more fuel for the fire to look at you like, "Mm, mm, mm, can't you ever get it right? And so we had not really spoken. Um... And it was that phone call, you know, that he had stage four cancer where I was like, I need to make some changes. I didn't know how to pray, but I knew that I wanted my dad to live. I didn't want to lose him. He meant too much to me. So I prayed and I was like, Lord, please save my dad. Um, Heal him. Take this cancer away from him. I didn't know in Jesus's name and to plead the blood and all. I didn't know any of that, but from my heart. I prayed and I asked God, please don't take him. I'm sorry that I've taken him for granted. Not my dad. So December, um, I'll say 
2004. I was about to say 2024. Uh, 2004, we went to the hospital. Uh, my sister, my brother got there. Uh, other brothers and siblings came. Um, but at that moment in time, my sister and I got there at the same time. My sister, Regina. Uh, we got there at the same time. I can't even remember. I believe we rode the train together. That's what it was or something like that. Look, I can't, I cannot even remember. I just remember being at the hospital and talking to him and asking him to not leave me. And I remember um, praying and asking God, excuse me one second, praying and asking God to um, help. Because <laughs> I really didn't know what else to say. I didn't know what to pray. So I was just like, don't take my dad. Uh, we left the hospital. The one thing I did do that I heard in my spirit, and I didn't even know it was my spirit, I had no idea, was to tell him that I named Danielle for him. That his name would go on. Because that's how much he meant to me. And leaving the hospital... I remember we were outside and it was snow and there was a family of deer by my car or the car I was driving. I believe I was driving. See, I can't even remember. Oh, I can only remember bits and pieces. There was a family of deer. It was a buck. That's the daddy, right? It was a doe. That's the mom. And it was two babies. The buck had big antlers and I had never ever seen deer that close now in jersey i have to tell you we have mountains so it's common to see deer it's not but i think it's a magical experience like seeing a unicorn every single time but to see a family of deer and then they were that close to my car they were right there and i was just like wow and i watched them go off and i remember that and we got to the house and we walked in we walked up the stairs, we sat down, the phone rang. And I answered the phone. And they told me my dad was gone. I threw myself on the steps, I remember that, because I, 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 mm -mm, I couldn't believe. I had asked God, I had prayed. I said, please don't take my dad. And I meant it with everything in my heart, because I wanted to spend more time with him, I wanted the kids to really get to know him. Isis had known him because she was older. But I had a D'Angelo who wasn't yet a year old. And I had a new baby coming. And I was just like, Lord, I have no dad. Now, mind you, my biological father was alive. And I um, give him all due respect. <clears throat> but the relationship I had with my dad, he and I were like this. And I wanted my kids to be able to laugh at his jokes, to hear his stories of growing up like I did, to spend time with him, for him to teach them how to tell time and how to write in cursive, all the things he did for me. And he was gone. Mm. And for the second time in my life, I became angry with God. The first time, it was something very similar to this. Growing up, my great aunts raised me. My mom had gone through a divorce from my biological father. She had gone back to school 
to get her nursing degree. She worked a full-time job in a hospital. So it was very difficult for her to care for me because she was either at school or at work. And so my aunts stepped in, my aunts Mary and Phyllis, and my uncles Doc and Ed. I had an aunt Frances and aunt Georgiana. <laughs> um, my uncle Butch too, uh, he lived in the house. Um, Mary, Phyllis, Doc, Ed, Butch, and uh, Frances lived in a house together. And then my Aunt Georgiana lived maybe like 10 blocks away. It was really close. So growing up, I was raised by the village. And I was especially close to my Aunt Phyllis. My Aunt Phyllis taught me how to bake when I was five years old. Um, Something I held dear because when I turned 12, I was baking professionally. (laughs) they were like wow you don't use box cake like I didn't begin using box cakes until I became lazy in my 20s I used to cook from bake from scratch I didn't know how to cook but I knew how to bake and that's because of my aunt Phyllis my aunt Phyllis was my mom I'm just gonna be uh, for real my mother knows it she will tell you that she's like yeah that was her mother like anything I needed anything I had a question about I went to my aunt Phyllis and the crazy thing was I would sit on her lap I was her peach So there's no question that I was one day going to move to Atlanta, right? Home of the peaches. That was her nickname for me since I was little little. Even as a grown adult, I used to sit in her lap and just hug her. She's who taught me how to love, how to laugh at yourself. It took a long time for the laughing at yourself piece of what she taught me to get to me. But she taught me how to laugh at myself and how to be silly how to embrace laughter. And I would need it because laughter healed me from so many things that I went through in my life. I needed laughter. Um, She was my everything, really and truly when I say that. Like, she was my mom. And so she was diagnosed with cancer, colon cancer of all things. And I was, I had never even heard of that. I had heard of breast cancer and lung cancer, but I didn't know about colon cancer. And so I was in Atlanta. It was as if she was waiting for me to get to Atlanta for her to decide, okay, God, you can take me now. She stopped eating and doing the things that she was supposed to do in order to heal her from the cancer. And nobody told me. They kept it a secret. Now, I used to call my aunts every Sunday. Every Sunday, I would dial that number. And I would call them and talk to them. Now, this is when calling on the phone costs money. This was my house phone. This wasn't a cell phone. Even then, cell phones, remember, only on weekends did we get free calls. But my aunts were old school. So I would call them. And they'd be like, oh, we don't want you to pay for the call, so we'll call you. <laughs> we would stay on the phone two and three hours at cost. So people can't even stay on the phone these days for five minutes for free. But at cost, my aunts would call me back. They never wanted me to spend my money calling them. And we would stay on the phone two and three hours talking. And so I would call And then they would be like, oh, your Aunt Phyllis, uh, she's at the church. Because my uh, aunt was part of the pastor's aid. And as she was a part of the pastor's aid, she would always be at church cooking or helping the pastor of the church doing whatever. She was the president. And so I'm like, every time I call on a Sunday, I can't get her. And eventually, they had to tell me, "Um, your aunt 
has cancer. We didn't want to worry you. Well, you know what happened immediately when I found out I went to New Jersey. And my aunt was always a big, tall woman. She reminds me of Medea. I'm going to be very honest with you. She has the frame and the body shape of Medea. And she was just as buck wild, too. Uh, she would love you and curse you, okay? Um, and so when I went there, this big woman whose lap I sat in was 80 pounds. And I lost it. And I couldn't handle it. And I was like, okay, uh-uh, let's eat. And the crazy thing was she didn't want to eat the entire time. But when I got there, she ate. So I blamed myself a little bit. I was like, had I known this, I could have gotten her to take the treatments and to eat. And she would have lived. And, you know, I've had that battle. And a lot of us go through guilt as we're grieving. And so when she passed, oh, <laughs> when she passed, I was angry at God. Because again, God and I didn't have a relationship. This was in the 90s. God and I didn't have a relationship. But I knew that there was a supreme being that I went to church to, uh, for every week where I knew Bible stories where he healed people because I read them. You didn't heal my aunt. So I didn't talk to God for years. I refused. I refused. I didn't want to hear anything about God. I turned my back on him. I was angry. And the reason I'm sharing this this morning, because there's some real emotions that happen when we grieve. I just told you, sometimes we feel guilty. I didn't spend enough time. I felt guilty because I hadn't told her I loved her. And I don't remember the last time I had ever said I love you to my aunt. But when she passed away, that changed everything in my life. Now, anytime I talk to any of my loved ones, I tell them, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Because I need you to know, even if we're angry at each other, with each other, even if we're not speaking, I still love you. One of the rules my mother had in the house was when you woke up in the morning, regardless if you had an attitude with anybody or you thought your poop didn't stink that morning, you were to say good morning. And that's something that I've carried down to my children and my children do it too. Good morning. It's a sign of I'm st I still have favor with you even if I'm angry with you. I still love you. And we say I love you. We could talk on the phone 12 times a day. 12 times we're going to say I love you. And I mean that because I carried that guilt for so long. I was like, did, did my aunt know I loved her? Because I was so hard-headed and, and so angry for a lot of my life and so rebellious. And she would be like, up here <laughs> with me. But she never gave up on me. And that meant something. And I was like, did she know I loved her? Because I never told her. I don't remember telling her. I remember hugging her and being all like this and you know kissing her on her cheek all over her head and that but did she know I loved her and I carried that one of the things when a person leaves that you think about what was the last thing I said to them was it in anger do we have angry words and we hold that we hold that guilt and so I'm here to tell you my part of my story, a part of my story today, so that you know to release that guilt. They knew you loved them. They know. They also know that you might have been angry with them, but they look at the big picture. They know. They know. They know. That's all I keep hearing the Holy Spirit. I'm, 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 
not saying to you what Andrea knows. I'm telling you what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying this morning. They know. So let go of that guilt. Even though you were angry. Even though you said some disrespectful words. Even though you didn't say I love you as much as you may have wanted to. Even if you may have never said I love you. Even if you didn't hug. They know. So release that guilt right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, for those that are listening to this message, I ask that you would heal them in the areas that they hold guilt, Lord God. That you would help them to release it right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God. That they would be released and be able to walk in peace, knowing their loved one knows how they feel and how they felt. In the name of Jesus, amen. I felt a heaviness there. Okay, I have a few minutes left, so let's, let's, let's get to it. There comes a point where some of us are angry with God and we blame God. If you were all powerful, all knowing, able to do anything, leap tall buildings at a single bound, because sometimes we put superhero on God. Why did you not spare my family member? And I had that question twice. These are the two times I was, can I be honest with you 100%? I yelled at God. I still get emotional. How? How could you take this person when there are other people in my life that I don't really like too much? (laughs) I'm being honest with you. How could you take the heart of me? How? Especially now when I need them more. I said the same thing for my aunt and the same thing for my dad. I need them. How could you take them? I yelled. I screamed. Oof. And you know what God said to me? Nothing. He was silent for years. And then one day, I was driving in the car by myself, no music on. And I heard God's voice as if he was sitting in the car with me. I'm going to try to get through this. He said to me, If he had stayed, this was about my father, but it also was the answer to my aunt. Now, remind, remember, my aunt passed away in 97, was it? Whenever I turned 25, I, I, I always get it mixed up, but I was 25 years old when I lost my aunt. 2004 is when I lost my dad. And he said, had he stayed, His body would not have been the same. His mind would not have been the same. He would have suffered. Would you rather hold on to him suffering or would you rather release him so that he could have total peace? No more hurt, no more of the uh, respirator, no more of that because he would not have been the same. I had to pull over. And that day, I began healing from both of them. God said, would you rather them suffer? 
because they would not have been the same. Well, she said he, but it was they. When you love someone, truly love someone, when you love them, you don't want them to suffer. You want them to be healed. We want them healed here on earth because God is able. But God sees fit and he does know all. So he knows if I leave this person there, they're going to be a shell of themselves. And you're going to have to take care of them. And that's not what they want. The other thing is that he told me later in regards to my aunt. This is recently. He told me this in 2020. You would not be the woman you are today if she had stayed. If I had kept her there, you wouldn't be walking into the promises I had for you. Because she was a crutch that you had for many years. She was your crutch. And you didn't have to go and do because you could rely on her. And I needed you to rely on me. Yep, had that talk in 2020. I can't tell you why God took your loved one. I can't tell you. Every answer is different. But I can tell you this. If you pray, he eventually will answer you. If you pray, he will give you insight. I don't know when. For me, it took years before I got the answer to why did you allow my loved one to leave, to die, to no longer be here. But he did respond to me. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. John 11, 21. John 11, 32. Mary and Martha both cried out to, to Jesus, to God, and said, if you had been here, they would, Lazarus would still be here. And many of us cry out, Lord, if you had shown up, they could have been healed. Lord, if you had shown up, they wouldn't have had to have died. Lord, if you had shown up and answered my prayer, this situation wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had shown up and put your hand on it, I wouldn't have lost my home or lost my job or lost my limbs or been in that accident or I wouldn't have gone through that rape or I wouldn't have gone through that molestation. I can't tell you why. God allows some things to happen. But I can't tell you that he knows. And somewhere down the line, he will reveal to you why. But you know, I need you to know, in your heart that there is a bigger purpose to the situation he's not being cruel though it feels like it he's being intentional about you so even though you may go through hurt, loss, pain there's a bigger picture some of the hurt and pain we go through is so that we can tell it to someone else who may not be able to handle it. You may have been strong enough to go through and the person beside you isn't. So your strength is what they lean on. 
and God needs that. There's some areas in our lives where we have a purpose that if we had not gone through what we had gone through, we would never walk in. And God knows this. So he makes the hard call and says, I have to remove that person. I have to remove that situation. I have to remove that opportunity because I need you to go through the fire. But as you go through the fire, you will not be burned, though it feels like you are burning. It feels like you are dying. But God is saying, I need you to go through this so that you might live. And not just survive, but live abundantly because of the call on your life. It doesn't feel good to go through loss. Martha and Mary didn't feel good losing Lazarus. But in that question, there was a strength that they got even before the miracle happened because they received a miracle. Many of us don't. And I'm here to talk to your heart today that you might be angry, you may hold guilt, you may hold um, resentment, bitterness. Today, I want you to make moves in releasing it, knowing that there is a bigger picture. Oh, it doesn't not hurt. (laughs) It hurts a lot. It still hurts. As you see, I can't even, I try to get through it. But losing my aunt and losing my dad were the two biggest losses I've ever had. Well, I had another, but we'll talk about that another time. Three big losses. And all three hurt. All of them hurt. Every person I've lost has hurt. But there are three losses I've had that crippled me for a while. But you get through it. I still miss my dad. I still miss my aunt. As a matter of fact... I still call them. Sometimes I dial the number. Sometimes I just talk to them like, oh, daddy, seriously. Now, I need you to talk to God. (laughs) While you're up there uh, praising him all day, take a five-minute prayer break, praise break. And uh, can you tell God this? Because he's not listening. Or I talk to him. The kids uh, would do cards, and we'd get a balloon and send them up to heaven Hmm. so maybe in your healing you feel like you want to talk to them and you can't yes you can even dial them on the phone just pick up the phone and be like hey what you doing today guess what happened to me I got some news to share can I be honest when I wrote my first book I talked to my family (laughs) talked to my dad and my aunt like hey I'm making you proud look 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 They that mourn will be comforted. Now, that has a whole lot of meanings. There are a lot of different things you can say for that, but I want to be really black and white. Let's not go deep because that definitely talks about forgiveness and all of that, and we're not going to go into that right now. I want you to hear this. They that mourn will be comforted. Take it right there. God will comfort you. He will send people to comfort you. But first, you need to be honest with him. If you're angry, let him know. If you're hurt, if you're holding guilt, the only way healing can happen is when you're open and you're honest. You're honest about your emotions and you're open to being healed. That's the only way it can work. 
It begins there. It begins with you. God doesn't come in to do anything that you don't ask him to do for you. Now, you know, I'm not talking about death and all that. I'm talking about when you want a relationship with him, he doesn't force it. When you want forgiveness from him, he doesn't force it. You have to open your mouth and say, Lord, and then whatever it is, forgive me, heal me, help me. I'm in pain. And then you have to be open to the process of mourning, the process of healing, the process. You have to be open. You may need to go see somebody, speak to someone, counseling, therapy, your um, church leaders. You may only need to have certain people around you. I could talk about this story where there were the mourners who were around Martha and Mary who followed them and their job was to cry with them, to be with them. And sometimes we have people crying and moaning that we don't need around us because we're trying to be healed and they're still keeping us in our death clothes, um, in the black, all black, and we're trying to wear white because we feel a little jubilant and they're trying to keep us grieving. You got to know the right people to have around you during your process of grieving. There's sometimes you don't want to grieve. There's sometimes you don't want to think about it. So people asking you how you feeling, how you doing, um, how's the loss affecting you, you don't want to hear that. You'd rather hear, oh, did you hear Mary J's new song? And that's real. But you won't know these things until you take the time to process. What is it that you need? And don't let people push you. Don't let them push you to get over grieving. And don't let them push you into grieving. We all handle death, loss differently. Find out what you need. This is about you and your healing. They that mourn. Sometimes, because a person is not directly connected with us, we forget about those people who had a connection. They may have not lost their father, but they lost their co-worker. They may not have lost their aunt, but they lost their teacher. Say prayers for those people who are outside your family that have a loss. Just like you lost, someone else lost them too. So always pray for one another, pray for each other, but take your time and never let anyone force you to go past it. But I need you to have some honest conversations. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have those honest talks with God so he can help you to heal. This was a hard one. Thank you for tuning in today to Word in the House Ministries. I love you. I thank you for your support. You are awesome. And you're going to get through this. I promise you. I promise you. It gets easier. It never gets easy. It gets better. It's not the best. Because at the best, we would have them here. But God knows what he's doing. So tune in next week. We'll talk about what thus saith the Lord. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Um, Thank you for allowing me to release. See, I needed to heal some more. This is something that's never ending because I truly loved my family, the two that left. You know, the ones I spotlighted. I love them all. But those two were my mom-like person and then my dad. So it... Thank you.